Hey, everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. This morning we're talking about family vacation. Um, How many of you couldn't miss the RV out front? How many of you want that RV? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. But we enter into this time of of schools out, spring and summer, and it means vacation for a lot of families. As a matter of fact, a lot of you are probably, I don't know, at the lake, somewhere on vacation right now. I remember uh, growing up, like schools out, and I just, mm, we went camping. We had an RV, it wasn't that cool. We started out with a pop-up that I don't even remember if it had a little porta john in it. We eventually moved up to the ones that had this cool little kitchen on the outside and, and so on. But I remember every Memorial Day, July 4th, and Labor Day, we would go camping. And I think maybe one other time in there. We'd often go to Twin Mills up in Howe. And oh my gosh, that was so much fun. We would do tubing down the river. We would bike everywhere. And if you know Twin Mills, we'd go up to the barn and hang out and play all kinds of games. One time, I went fishing. This actually wasn't at Twin Mills, I'm not sure it was where it was, but my cousin and I, I think it was a smaller campground, there wasn't so much to do, so we decided we'd go fishing. I don't know why I ever thought that was a good idea. I was, uh, maybe it was innocence. I was maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12. So, you know, we got, every, got the lines ready. I'm, I'm gonna butcher this, but um, you know, I get ready to, to cast, right? Is that casting? Get ready to cast, and I got stuck. I'm like, what did I catch? And I look back, and I caught my cousin's nose. I know, I couldn't have done it if I'd have tried. And I really did like him. But then we have this, oh crap moment, because what are we gonna tell our parents? Well, we can't get it out, obviously. It's impossible. So we go traipsing back to the campground. I've got him in tow, right? Anyhow, they eventually got it out, but that was the last time I went fishing. But vacation, it's this this great opportunity to spend time together, away from everybody's schedules, showing love, giving attention to, being intentional, modeling grace and patience. Whoops. So I had you know, time to think about that. Is that really what happens on vacation? I think that's what we hope it happens. Like that's a really great idea. But see, we're not, often we're not close to home, so the kids can't just hoof it back home. You're kind of stuck together. And so it forces us to extend grace in ways that our, our usual rhythms and schedules might allow us to just kind of ignore. And if you haven't said it, you may have heard it but the exasperation of mom who says, this is gonna be a long week if that's how you're gonna act, right? That that can be like a vacation frustration. The family, easy to take for granted, to not give our best to, not saying or not showing the I love yous or saying it without meaning it. 
just something we habitually say. So intentionality, I believe, is key. So say it like you mean it or say it until you mean it. This three-week series we're gonna go into, it discusses both the importance of family relationships and how parenting is a way to help our kids, like how we raise our kids to understand God's grace and love as we do family life. And then perhaps, maybe an idea would be that we can use this same approach, the same intentionality that we would on family vacation, do that the other 50 or 51 weeks of the year. See, the safety of covenant, that promise of unconditional love, is where grace happens in our relationship with God, and it should happen in our relationships with each other, especially the family. So parents, got a big responsibility. And for some of us as grandparents, I think it falls on us as well. Not just on family vacation, but every week, every day. Now I'm not gonna be able to talk to you on Father's Day, so men, I'm gonna take this time and say, lead your families. Men, lead your families. Walk in that God-given role you have. Be a model of healthy authority and leadership. I'll tell you, show me a girl who is promiscuous, always has to have a boyfriend, and I'll show you a father who is absent. Or show me a young boy who is mean to little girls, and I'll show you a father who has not affirmed his son. I cannot overstate the value and the importance of men leading. And then, and then together with your wife as a team, you're providing direction for your kids. We're not relying on school or Juanita and her team in kids' church. This is you. You as a team have a responsibility to lead, to instruct, to correct your kids in love, but correction is so necessary. I was having, uh, actually just talking to Morgan, my daughter-in-law yesterday, and she took said granddaughter out to kids' church just now, but we were just talking about this age that Eloise is. And uh, yeah, Cody, I won't say this is paybacks, but I might. Um, she, is, she is stubborn, like her father, and I hear her mother, um, it's it, that challenging age, she's found her voice, right? She's found her voice and she can say no. And she can point in your face and say no. Um, those things that make you just, ooh, it takes a lot of Jesus, right? It takes a lot of Jesus. Uh, but I was just trying to encourage Mo in that, you know, Morgan, sorry, use your nickname. Um, in that kids really do want boundaries. They will resist him, they will push back on him all day long, but down deep, that's what they want, it's healthy. Even if you're afraid you're gonna you know, hurt their feelings or hurt their bottoms, um, whatever the case may be, it's, it's really important to to instruct and correct, and call out the good. This one I feel like should be in bold and underlined. Like, get to know the natural bent in them. So we're not talking about, oh, you're so pretty. 
We're like, you know what? I saw how you just talked to your brother and how you were kind and how you took time. And I feel like you're a really good teacher. Oh, you have a really great gift with art. See those ways that God has created your child and encourage them in that. Speak life into those places where you see the way God has created them. I think it sets a foundation, a beautiful foundation for the purposes that God has called them. Speak love. I love you, I love you too. Those words must be spoken, but they also have to be acted on. So we can't do one without the other. We can't just show love, we actually have to, we have to enforce it with the words. We can't just say the words and then not show our kids in action that we love them. To be a safe place so that they can come home to you with anything, anything and everything, for them to be, feel like you are a safe place, where they can experience a love that is radical and unconditional, especially when they screw up. You know, that's when we can say, or I should say, I remember when the kids were young and they would get in trouble for something and I'd get the whole, mom, don't you love me anymore? That's manipulative, let's call that out. But I think we can, we can reinforce our love without liking what they did, right? To be able to say, well, I don't like that you just hit your brother, but I love you. Right, that love will never, never change, which obviously is a beautiful example of God's love. Uh, may have consequences, but that covenant connection remains, and we're family, right? We are stuck together, but we're making absolute best of it for everyone. Love is always present, always rules. Just as we say to our kids, you're my kid. Nothing is ever gonna change how I love you. God says the same thing to us. I think sometimes we disqualify ourselves, we take us out of the picture because we think, oh, I've screwed up so bad, there's no way he could use me. And that is simply not true. Grace, grace, and more grace is what it takes for us to be in this healthy community of family. I don't know how many times I told myself or I told Jean, their brains are not fully developed yet, I can do this, dear God, help me. Their brains are not fully developed. I think God probably has that same grace for me uh, sometimes at 53. Uh, but I wonder this morning, like, is this picture that we just talked about, about healthy family, is that like what you're experiencing? Is that a picture of your family? Maybe you've begun this way of leadership with your kids, or maybe your parents did. Maybe your grandparents started it. I don't know if you can look back and point to where this healthy picture of family started. Maybe you are gonna be the start for the generations that will follow you. And if you haven't thought about that, do. I think it's really impactful to inventory these things, um, to be grateful for what those before you have done, or to maybe what God has shown you to do in the way of family connection and commitment. And I think story is, is really powerful. The stories of our life, um, they are written all over my face. <laughs> 
wrinkles. I call them smile lines. Um, but it, the people in our lives, the, um, the direction of God and his hand in our lives. So I'm going to uh, turn to scripture this morning for a story. And, uh, you know, Jean and I tell stories very differently. I love you, babe. Um, Jean will tell a story, the long version. When, um, if he were to tell you the story of the fishing that we did at camping, he'd have said, well, in 1948, and then in 1962, and then eventually we got the hook in the nose, right? So he has all these fascinating details and interest where I just told you, yeah, we went fishing and I got a cook, you know, and it's a little more boring. So we're gonna do long version today of this story. We're gonna do it gene style. We're gonna go way back to Genesis and we're gonna look at what covenant and commitment to family looks like. We're gonna look at Genesis. We're gonna look at chapters 12 to 22, but don't panic. I'm gonna add some of my style in here. This is Abram. We are catching up with Abram and when God called him. And the first verse in chapter 12 says, the Lord said to Abram, and I think, you know, how many of you think if God just spoke to me, like it says here in scripture, I could obey. If I knew exactly what he wanted me to do, I could do it. It'd be great to hear God audibly. And some of you may hear God audibly. Some of you may hear God in dreams. Pay attention to the way God is talking to you. My dreams make no sense and I would have been terrified of this morning because my dream this morning did not go well. So dreams, maybe other people talk to you, maybe other people encourage you or they speak prophecy, life over you. But pay attention to those things. And my goodness, if you don't think you can hear God, if all else fails, pick up your Bible and read your Bible. This should not be a last resort, this should be a first resort. God can speak to you through the pages here. But anyhow, we catch up here. This is what the Lord said to Abram. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Here's a promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Okay, key thing to note here. Abram's like 75 years old. He's married. They can't have kids. So how is this promise gonna work, right? But Abram, the next line says, so Abram left as the Lord had told him to. He took off. And when he got to the land where God had showed him, the Lord appeared to him again and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Again, I'm 75, my wife is barren. How is this gonna happen? But Abram builds an altar, and I think he said, all right, God, I'm believing you for this. I am believing for you, I'm believing this promise. Chapter 13 is just a little note where Abram and his nephew Lot, who he took with him, um, they're livestock, their, their whole communities got too big for them to travel together. And so Abram says to Lot, you pick where you wanna go, I'll take what's left over. And just in that, I think Abram, he had this promise, right? He knew God's blessing was on him. He didn't have to worry about getting the best of the best. 
So again, after, after Abram does this, the Lord says to him, lift up your eyes from where you are, look north and south, east and west. All the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. Abram builds another altar. Like, okay, I'm believing you for this. Then we get to chapter 15, and God comes to Abram in a vision this time, which was a little freaky for Abram, but God says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Abram's is like, okay, yeah, God, you've promised me all this stuff, but I still don't have a child. And at this point, my servant's child is gonna be my heir. He's getting a little snarky with God. The Lord came to him and said, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. So Abram believed. Actually, we move on to chapter 17 and God goes on um, and appears to him again and talks to him about this covenant. And then he said, I'm gonna change your name. No longer are you gonna be Abram, you're gonna be Abraham, which means father of many. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you and your descendants after you for generations to come. I will be your God and the God of your descendants. He also then changes Sarai's name to Sarah. And he says, I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so she will be the mother of nations. Abram's laughing about this at this point. He's like, yeah, right. Like I'm a hun- like I'm gonna be, he's 99. Like I'm gonna be 100 years old when I have a child and Sarah is 90. Like this is laughable. It's only God, right? Only God. Because God goes on to say, not only are you gonna have a son, but you're gonna call him Isaac and you're gonna establish a covenant with him. Chapter 18, the Lord comes to them through three visitors. These visitors come and Abraham goes scurrying to find food and get water to um, give to their livestock and to wash their feet, to give them food. He's serving them. And then the visitor, one of the visitors says, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So now we've heard God audibly, like just from God, through a vision and now through a stranger. God has spoken. Well, Sarah is listening in the next room and she thinks this is hysterical. Like, yep, we're old and now we're gonna have this opportunity? I don't think so. To which God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Why? Because we go back to that promise where Abraham is gonna become a great and powerful nation. God has chosen Abraham so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. 
So he promised him not just a son, but he's saying his name is Isaac. So we jump to chapter 21. See, this is fast. Chapter 21, Isaac is born. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he'd said. The Lord did for Sarah what he promised. She became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised. Abraham was 100 years old. He held on to that promise for, did you do the math, 25 years? 25 years of a promise. So now, as this promise is fulfilled, it's making sense, right? Now it's all making sense. The word, again, from God, through vision, through other people, it's all laid this foundation and really set them up for what's next. Uh, Because in chapter 22, Abraham is tested. And I can't imagine a test like this as a parent. It must be the, the most difficult test he'd ever gone through. But I believe that he could, he could do it. Chapter 22 could happen because of chapter 12 and the promises that were given there. But God comes to Abraham and says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I think after about 40 questions and much deliberation with God. I don't know if I still could do it. But the next line again shows Abraham's faith. And early the next morning, he got up, he saddled his donkey, um, took two servants and his son with him to go do what God had said. On the third day, Abraham found this place they were supposed to be And um, he said to his servants, he said, stay here. And I want you to listen very carefully at this next part. I and the boy will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Do you think he had faith? We are gonna go worship, but we will come back to you. That's Abraham and Isaac. So he took the wood for the burnt offering and they started headed up and Isaac's like, hey dad, um, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham's answer again, gosh, he's amazing. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. He could have instilled all kinds of fear in Isaac. He could have at the beginning of that three-day journey said, Isaac, you are not gonna believe what God has asked me to do to you. He could have... He could have talked back to God. Maybe he did, it's just not in here. He could have said, no, I'm not doing that. But he had such a strong faith, again, because of chapter 12 and everything in between, where that promise of offspring and blessing is reiterated over and over again. 
But anyhow, as the story goes on, um, Abraham built the altar, bound Isaac. I have so many questions, but he bound Isaac, put him on the altar, was ready with his sword, and the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, no. The angel said, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then again, he goes on to say, and because you did that, there's gonna be so much blessing to your offspring. You know, when it doesn't make sense, can we still hold on to the promises of God? Maybe when God asks us to give of our finances and we think, well, that doesn't make sense because I won't have money left over for my family. Or maybe when God says, you need to quit working so many hours so you can be with your family and you say, but I won't have enough money if I'm not working so hard. When it doesn't make logical sense for our natural minds, can we remember the promises of God? The promises that he will care for us, that he will provide for us, that nothing will diminish his love toward us no matter what. Can you be such a pillar for your kids and for your grandkids like Abraham who had that insane amount of faith? reminding your kids of God's promises to care and provide, showing how to love in action, those actions that go along with the I love you, I am for you. Not grumbling, not blaming God, but believing that nothing is too hard for God. What happens if our kids grow up believing that? Believing that fiercely, what a strong foundation it can be for them, showing them how to remain faithful when things don't make sense, when things are difficult, I think is a really beautiful gift that you can give your kids. If they can believe that you've got their back and God's got their back no matter what, that your love for them is unshakable, I think they'll manage and navigate tough times with a good amount of grace. Now the story may have seemed kind of long. That's how I feel about some of Jean's stories. Um, but I think it's again so important to note that chapter 22 is not possible without chapter 12 and those promises. 25 years of a promise. I think sometimes a week is too long. And here it was 25 years. I wonder this morning, what is God's promise to you? What chapter is your family in? And I wonder, maybe you need to have a family meeting to talk about it. Maybe you could read these chapters together. I think it'd be a great exercise. Those of you with kids that are old enough to understand, read those chapters 12 to 22 and see what they say. What is your purpose? How can your uh, family like, be a good example and relate and interact in ways that reflect what covenant and commitment to family looks like? What ways can you be more intentional with your I love you too? Not just something we say, but we mean. 
And as we think about family vacation being all year long, not that we're on vacation all year, but in the way that we relate to each other and value each other, uh, let's be intentional with those interactions and our focus on hearing, trusting, and believing God. Like get your kids involved in looking for God and for hearing him in the ways that he might be speaking to them. Never taking for granted this gift of family. I know not everybody has a great family dynamic, but I wonder if you can be a change in that scenario, impacting your family, and then your family can impact those around that may not have any idea of this way of Jesus, and you can be showing them that way as you walk out this way of Jesus, this way of love. Now, I know. I remember the days of young kids. I remember <laughs> it was difficult. It was thankless. It was exhausting. But never, never lose sight of the great opportunity and actually the responsibility that you have to model Jesus, to shape them with that unconditional love with that grace, faith, because of the promises of God. His promises and the purposes that he's created you for, the purposes he's created your kids for. You're only gonna have them for about 18 years, which may feel like 40. Oh, I heard an amen somewhere. No, you've only got them for about 18 years. Seriously, like make the most of it. I know that the days are long, but the years fly by. And before you know it, um, that opportunity will have gone. So make sure that you take advantage of that. As we wrap up, I wanna suggest some things that you can pack for your family vacation this year. Things like compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, I love yous, and God's word, especially finding those promises. Fill your cooler with things like thankfulness, thankfulness to God and for each other, with encouragement, affirmation, and stick a few more I love yous in there too. Let peace be your GPS. Let that be what guides you, what directs you. And then as you invite others to your campfire or to your pool or to your barbecue, be sure you share these things that you've got packed. And remember why you're hanging out. Remember what the purpose and the promise is. And know that your kids are watching. Your kids are watching. What stories will they have to tell about your family vacations? Take some time to think about that um, this week and as you prepare for a great summer with kids and as you reflect on the goodness of God, um, I think that you can build up a lot in them as you are intentional about why we're here, why we do what we do. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.